Well, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to have you with us today. I want to say hello to those of you joining us online. Uh, thanks for joining us through that venue as well. And if you're in a parent viewing room, that's a great option. If you have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service. Uh, anybody watching in our cafe, great to have you with us as well. And we're in a series called Holy Shift. And the idea behind this is that um, in our lives in 2024, there are some Fun, uh, fundamental foundational shifts that we can make that will change the trajectory of our lives. There's simple things that we can do that we can shift our mindset, shift some habits, shift some behavior, and these simple shifts can actually have a huge impact on the trajectory of our lives and can have a huge impact on really taking hold of the life that God has created us to live. And so a couple of weeks ago, we said we want to make the shift from me to we, that uh, we're better together, and so we got to get good at doing together better. And that's why we have groups uh, that are launching uh, this week. A bunch of our groups start. We've added a bunch of new groups. Uh, we've had a couple hundred people signing up for groups. And there's a spot for you. We don't want you to miss that opportunity to be in a small group of people, even as the church grows larger, that there's somebody who knows your name and you know their name and you're encouraging each other. So if you missed that, there's, uh, it's all online, all on our website, all in the Church Center app. You can grab that and, and check out a group. Uh, then last week, we said this. Uh, that we want to make the shift from greed to generosity. We want to make the shift from, from it's all about how much more I get to how do I manage whatever has been entrusted to me. And that when we each do our part, that it really helps us uh, live with joy and with peace and contentment, and, uh, and, it, and it moves the mission of God's church forward. Now today, uh, I want every person who calls Westbridge Church their home to make a shift from comfortable to committed. That's where we're going today, comfortable to committed. And I'm going to talk to you about serving, and I'm going to be very, very upfront. I'm, going to be, I'm just going to give it to you right at the beginning. I'm going to ask you to sign up to serve on a serving team somewhere here at Westbridge Church before this service lets out. I'm just giving it to you right on the front end. And if you're like, wow, Taz, it's getting late. I got to go. Uh, some of you are here and you're like, I'm just exploring this. I don't even know what I think about Jesus. I'm just, I don't know what I think about church. I'm just exploring this. I would say keep exploring. Okay, you, you just sit back, take this in, and uh, just kind of soak it in, see kind of who we are, what kind of a community we are. But if you would say, no, I'm a follower of Jesus, and uh, this is my church home, then I'm going to ask you to lean in. And before you, you know, grab your stuff and head out the door, uh, hear me out. What if I told you the reason behind asking you to serve isn't necessarily just to have you fill some coffee pots on a Sunday morning or, you know, somehow get you to play with some crumb crunchers over in the nursery every week? What if... The point isn't about asking you to be a little cog in a big machine. What if I told you serving is actually about discovering a life of meaning and a life of joy and a life of fulfillment and that a life of service is going to push you and drive you toward who God created you to be? Now, if I said that, you might be skeptical, right? And I wouldn't blame you because anytime somebody asks something of you, they have an agenda, don't they? I totally get it. And oftentimes when people say one thing, they mean something different. Let me give you some examples. Uh, have you ever heard this? It's something people say when they're sort of preempting, they're about to say something else, and before they say that other thing, they go, with all due respect. <laughs> and whenever someone says, with all due respect, are they about to show respect? No. Uh, or how about this? Maybe you've heard this from a coworker or a colleague. It's not personal, it's just business. And, and what does that mean? That means, hey, for financial gain, I'm about to stab you in the back and throw you under the bus and step over your dead corpse. But it's not personal. It's just business. Or maybe you've ever uh, been a part of a breakup. Maybe you've heard this before. It's not you. It's me. You know what that means? It's definitely you. That's what that means. 
Yeah. It's difficult to have any credibility for me today because I recognize the, the skepticism that comes when somebody says, no, 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 this is really for you, right? And, and I get that. And the truth is, uh, I want you to know serving others isn't just about helping other people find and follow Jesus. It truly is about helping you follow Jesus, about helping you discover the kind of life God's created you to live. And I want to begin by looking at a story that's found in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew was one of Jesus's followers. He was one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus's death and resurrection. He traveled with Jesus and he wrote an account, uh, an eyewitness account of the things that he experienced. One of them is this story. And it's really a fascinating story. It starts like this. As soon as Jesus heard the news. Now, What's the news that Jesus heard? Jesus had just heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed by King Herod. And so this news has just come to Jesus. Jesus is in mourning. He's experienced loss. And it says that he went off by himself in a boat to a remote area to be alone. So Jesus is going, oh, I'm in mourning. I'm, 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 I'm suffering grief as a result of this. He gets in a boat. He's going to go by himself. But the crowds heard where he was headed, and followed by land from many villages. So you can imagine this. Jesus is like, I'm going to get in a boat. I'm going to cross. I'm going to get away by myself. And he gets to the other side, and people have gotten the word out, right? They put it out on social media. They're like, here's where Jesus is landing. They all go there and meet him. A vast crowd was there to meet him by the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. They're like, Jesus, this is a problem. We've got all these people here. Uh, they've been with you all day long. They're still here. They're, 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 they, they are, man, they're drawn to you. And you have compassion on them, even though this is a dark hour for you. But now we're hitting a point. We're, we're kind of hitting a, a, you know, a fork in the road here. We've got to make a decision because this is a desolate place. There's no food. So here's what uh, Jesus says. Well, that isn't necessary. You feed them. <laughs> hey, no problem. Jesus doesn't disagree on the need. They just don't really see eye to eye on the solution. Hey, Jesus just says, why don't you guys just feed them? Now, we, we come to learn in the story that there's 5,000 men plus women and children. And Jesus says, go ahead, guys, why don't you feed them? And here's their response. Impossible, they exclaimed. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus, I mean, we'd love to feed them, but look, here's what we got. It's five loaves and two fish. And, and you can look at this crowd. It's a vast crowd. There's a desolate place. We should send them away. Here's Jesus' response. Bring them here. Bring me what you've got. Five loaves and two fish? All right, bring it here. And then he told the people to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up toward heaven, and he asked God's blessing on the food, breaking the loaves into pieces. He gave some of the bread and fish to each disciple, and the disciples gave them to the people, and they all ate as much as they wanted, and they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men had eaten from those five loaves in addition to all the women and children. This is an absolutely incredible turn of events, and it's amazing because they didn't really have much, and here is the principle that God has used throughout the history of the church to, to really accomplish what he has accomplished for the last 2,000 years through people and through the church. It's this simple formula, and it looks like this. It starts with, we offer what we have. Well, Jesus, all we have is five loaves and two fish. It's not going to be enough. Jesus goes, bring it here, right? What do you got? Well, I, just, I don't feel like I got enough to offer. Just bring it to me. Just offer it. Just make it available, and let's see what we can do with this. So we offer what we have. That's the first part. We, that's our part. And then God does what only God can do. 
Jesus did what only Jesus could do, and here's the result. A miracle. 5,000 men plus women and children were able to eat from five loaves and two fishes. And that is why you are here today, because somebody somewhere in the last 18 years did what they knew to do. God did what only God can do. And lives have been changed as a result. And that is an absolute miracle. This has always been the key to life change. Think about it like this. Somewhere along the way, somebody, you know, we sent out a, a, a series on parenting. We sent out a mailer. And somebody got that mailer, and we had no idea what was going on in their life. We just did what we knew to do. Send some mail. Send an invitation. And somebody said yes to that. And we didn't know what was going on in your life, but God did what only God can do. And you showed up. And your family is experiencing healing. Some of you got invited to a marriage series, and we had no idea what was happening in your marriage. But you just showed up. God did what only God can do. And you're starting to put the pieces back together. Someone invited you to church and you've been burned by the church in the past and you're very skeptical to anything quote unquote religious. You're just like, I don't know about this, but a last ditch effort. All right, you're my friend, so I'm going to go. And somebody, you know, waved you as you were driving into the parking lot and somebody greeted you on your way in and someone smiled at you and handed you a program and nobody's eyes were glazed over and nobody was twitching and everybody was normal. You're like, okay, they're not some part of a cult. Like they're not waiting for the mothership necessarily. And it wasn't even one specific thing. It's just somehow like you came in and you felt like I belong. And I don't even believe everything these people believe, but they make me feel like I belong here. And they loved you. And we can do that. That's just normal people showing up and doing what we know to do. And then going, God, you're going to have to do what only you can do. And the result is a miracle. And your heart has changed over time. That's a miracle. But that's just normal people going, we don't have a lot to offer. But God, if you, like, it's like five loaves and two fish. But if you can do something with it, then use it. Work through it. As a matter of fact, when we started this church, we did what we knew to do. And it wasn't much. We still don't know very much. Every week, it's like, I don't know, let's do what we know to do. <laughs> let's open the doors. Let's turn on the lights. Let's invite people. And then God just does what only he can do, and the results have been absolutely miraculous. We just don't know any better. We're, we're willing to offer what little bit we had. And here's why this is so important and why it matters to each of us. When you take whatever you have and you just go, God, I'm willing to offer it. Whatever this is, whatever talents, whatever gifts, whatever time, whatever it is, if you can just work with this, here's what happens. Number one, you gotta know this. God's grace works in you. This is one of the keys to really grabbing hold of the life that God created you for. Jesus came into this world not just to provide salvation from our sins and rescue us from those things that tend to entrap us, but also to provide grace for our daily lives, to help us live lives that are fully alive as a part of his kingdom. That's, that's what he came to do. Jesus said one of the reasons he came to this earth was so that we could identify and experience what it would be like to grab hold of the life that is truly life. And yet I can tell you, many of us have become spectators in our own lives. We're watching life pass us by. When you offer whatever you have, you discover that God's grace starts to do something inside of you. In fact, uh, Jesus said it this way. He was talking to a group of people in the first century, and Jesus said this. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. If you try to just hold on and make it all about your comfort and make it all about you and make it about your preferences, and I, I just want everything to be comfortable for me. He said, you try to hold on to your life, you try to preserve your life, you try to make your life better for you, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find true life. In other words, the way to take hold of the life that is truly life is to give your life away. 
in service to others. It's so counterintuitive. It goes against the grain of everything we think. Hang on to what you have. Don't ever sacrifice for others. Don't inconvenience yourself in any other way. Just try to hold on to your preferences and your life will slip through your fingers. You want to find true life? You want to grab hold of the life that is truly life? Give your life away. Offer it and discover a life of greatness. It's within the context of serving that your true life is being built. And if you don't step into it, you're missing out. This isn't even about Westbridge Church. Because guess what? The church is growing, and in spite of us, God is doing something. He's drawing people to himself. And if you don't say yes and jump into a serving team and offer what you have, somebody else will, and the church will keep moving forward. It's just that you'll miss out on something that God has created you for. I love, uh, there's studies been done all over, the, all over the world that have asked the question, is there a connection between selflessness and happiness? Many, many studies have been done over decades and decades and decades. Different cultures ask this question. Is there a connection between selflessness and happiness? And the research shows not only is there a connection between selflessness and happiness, there is a connection between selflessness, happiness, and even physical health. Serving others seems to be the fountain of youth. Believe it or not. Selfless people live longer, healthier lives. One study uh, from the United Kingdom took 40 different studies that asked this question. Is there a connection between serving others, between selflessness, between volunteering, and then happiness and health? And here's what they found over 20, uh, more than 20 years in this study. If you volunteer consistently, if you give whatever you have, you just volunteer, you serve others consistently, not just once every here and then, but consistently you find a place to serve. You have a lifestyle where you intentionally carve out time to volunteer. Over 20 years, they discovered those people had less depression, less heart disease, less stress. And for teenagers who consistently volunteer somewhere, less depression, less drug use, less unwanted pregnancy. And this is my favorite part. The study actually said this. If you have to force your teenager to volunteer, then force them to volunteer because volunteering with a bad attitude still has positive results. Like, that's amazing. They have a bad attitude about everything. <laughs> Just force them to serve. Because teenagers who volunteer as teenagers generally volunteer as adults. And consequently, they have all the benefits that go along with living a selfless life. People who volunteer and serve others have greater psychological well-being. They're healthier mentally, healthier physically. They have higher self-esteem, a better quality of life. And all of the research, all of the research shows they actually live longer. It's amazing, isn't it? When you think about that, why is that the case? All the research and all the studies all over the world asking different questions to different cultures all come to the same conclusion. The best thing you can do for yourself is not to focus so much on yourself. It's amazing. It's just confirming what Jesus taught a couple thousand years ago. Try to hold on to your life. Try to preserve it. Make it all about you. You'll lose it. You want to grab hold of the life that is truly life? Give it away. And many of you have experienced this. You empty yourself out in service to others, and it leaves you feeling completely filled up. Because God's grace does something in you. When you offer what you have, God does something in you. But here's what's so amazing. Not only does God do something in you, God's grace works through you. God's grace doesn't just change you, but it does something to change somebody else, that you actually become like someone who distributes God's grace to other people. It's amazing. Church was not meant to be some electric socket that we all just come into once a week and kind of plug in and fill up our battery and then go out to the world. 
It's more than that. It's a gathering of people who come together so that we can distribute God's grace in its various forms. And it looks different all the time. All of our different gifts and talents and abilities, and we use those, and we reflect God's grace, and we distribute God's grace to other people. What we've experienced, freely we have received, freely we give. Here's what Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, puts it this way. He says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Whatever gift I've received, I gotta, I gotta use it, I've gotta develop it and deploy it. And all of us are different, but it is when we take what little bit we think we have and we offer it that God takes it and does something miraculous in somebody else's life. And you get to be a part of that and I get to be a part of that. We created this church, we started this church to help people find and follow Jesus. That is the mission of the church. And part of following is discovering and deploying your gifts to accomplish the mission of the church. So imagine what would happen. I said this right at the beginning. I'm gonna ask you to say yes to a serving team. Imagine what would happen if we had zero spectators at Westbridge Church. If everybody had a role and everybody had a part, the impact would be great because when we offer what we have, God works through us. And he does something in the hearts and the lives of other people. Now, maybe you're right now thinking, okay, you made the pitch, got it. May, I, I might be ready, but dude, I don't even know where to start. Like, where do I even begin? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Number one, start here. Identify your barriers to serving. All of us have these. All of us have barriers. Like, like I don't think there's anybody here who goes, serving, stupid. Volunteering, dumb. But legitimately, we have some fears. We have some concerns. We have some barriers that have kept us from saying yes in the past. And that's legitimate. Some of you have heard this before, and you decided not to get involved for a variety of reasons. But what are some of these barriers? Maybe for some of you, it's a feeling of inadequacy. One of the things that hold people back from serving is that they don't feel technically qualified. I totally understand that. The thought of running a computer for kids' check-in, the thought of, you know, manning a camera, or, you know, the thought of, like, teaching something to two-year-olds, like, freaks you out. Like, oh, my gosh. Thanks, but no thanks. I want to serve, but maybe next time. And I get that. That's a legitimate barrier. And most, most people don't disagree on the need. They just go, I mean, all I got is five loaves and two fish. Like, Jesus, I see the need. I see what's going on here at Westbridge Church. I see that services are filling up. I see that, you know, they got kids' rooms that are filled with kids and, you know, middle school rooms that are filled with middle schoolers and a Wednesday night that has a couple hundred kids showing up. And I, I, I see the need. But, I mean... It's five loaves and two fish. What are you going to do with that? I don't have a lot to offer here. This is why it's so important that we offer whatever it is that we have. Many feel that, man, I recognize the need. I just don't really feel like I got a lot to offer. And I'm telling you, God always uses people who aren't technically qualified for the job. God used a guy named Moses to speak to Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man on earth. And Moses had a stuttering problem. In fact, that we do a test around here to make sure that people are technically qualified to serve. You, you, you hold two fingers up, and you go like this. And if you feel something, you're qualified. If, if, if you can fog a mirror, you're qualified, okay? It doesn't mean you're technically qualified to serve everywhere. It means you're qualified to serve somewhere. Somewhere. You should find a spot. Maybe for others of you, it's not, not the technical aspect, but maybe you feel spiritually disqualified. You're like, I just don't feel worthy. And you feel like you're not spiritually qualified to serve at church, like you don't measure up somehow. Let me just put that to rest. 
for those of you that think that you're not qualified spiritually, I can tell you that's because you're not. Does that feel better? (laughs) Neither am I. But we know the one who qualifies us, right? If Jesus used the spiritually qualified, the church never would have made it out of the first century. I'm telling you, this is the biggest bunch of screw-ups and misfits that the world has ever seen, and they don't try to hide it. They just go, yep. (laughs) And God still worked through us because we offered what we had. One of my friends, a guy named Larry Osborne, is a pastor in California. He writes this in one of his books. If God only wanted perfect leaders with stellar resumes, he would have left a lot of stories out of the Bible. The privilege of spiritual leadership has never been reserved for those with a perfect track record. It's been reserved for those who repent and run to the cross, no matter who they are or what they've done. See, Paul described himself in his own writings as the chief of sinners. Peter was a guy who denied Jesus, and yet God used him to build the church in the first century. God loves to use people who the rest of us think would be unusable. In fact, in one of his letters to a group of people in Corinth, the Apostle Paul writes this, and this is uh, taken from a, a translation called The Message. It's a paraphrase of a letter that Paul writes, and I love the way that the language puts this. He says this, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. It's like, wow, thanks, Paul. (laughs) Appreciate that. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses and chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? What he's saying is this. When you think that you don't have anything to offer, you're in a perfect position to be used by God. You're in a perfect position for God to work through you. Do you know who scares me is when somebody comes for the very first time and they get a connection card and they join eight different teams and lead three different groups and offer to speak next week? I'm like, whoa, slow your roll. Like, you're freaking me out here. You know, let's slow down. That's somebody who thinks they got it all together. They got a lot to offer us. But here's the reality. I don't have it all together. When I look at what God's doing at Westbridge Church, it's not because of Jeremiah. It's in spite of Jeremiah. Let's just be honest. And so that's why I love people who go like this. Oh, man. All right. Got this say yes card. All right. I'm looking at it. I'm holding it. I'm holding it all service long. I don't know. I don't feel like I got a lot to offer. I am literally like five loaves and two fish here. That's what I got, Jesus. But all right. I'm going to check the card, and I'm going to write my name and my email and my phone number. And then... They're like, I don't even know if I'm going to, I might just tuck this in my purse. I might just stuff this in my pocket. I don't know. And then on their way out, they're just like, Lord Jesus, help me. And they put it in one of the giving stations. They're like, please let it get lost in the giving station. <laughs> let them not find it. Let, it. let the ink disappear. And then they'll get a call. I'm like, hey, I saw that you signed up. Yeah, I'm a little nervous. Man, those are the people that we love to help get connected. You know why? Because God gets all the credit. It's like, yeah. Welcome to the club. See, begin to identify what's holding you back from serving. And then here's the key. Whatever that is that you're going, I just don't know. I'm just not ready yet. Whatever that key is, here's the one key that makes all the difference. Make yourself available. That's it. The only difference between people who God works through to make a difference in the lives of others and people who are on the sidelines is not their spiritual qualifications. It's not their technical qualifications. It's that they've made themselves available. 
They've just said yes. Listen again to what the Apostle Paul writes to followers of Jesus living in the Roman uh, Empire in the first century. He says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service. That, that phrase, living sacrifice, you know, if you've ever been around, you know, maybe church world for a while, maybe you've heard that phrase, it's kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. But this would have been absolutely unbelievable language for someone living in the first century because the way that they would worship and the way that they knew that they were, you know, offering service to the gods was that you go to a temple and you offer it and you put, take an animal and you sacrifice it on the altar. And then that animal dies and you're basically saying, okay, I'm offering this to, you know, whatever the deity is that I worship and now I can walk away and I'm in right standing with whoever we perceive to be running the thing. And Paul comes along and he goes, no, no, this is brand new language. You're going to offer yourself, but you don't offer yourself and like die on the altar, but, but you do offer your preferences and your comfort and you let that die and then you walk away and you're like a living sacrifice dedicated to God's service. That's how we worship. It's a brand new way of thinking. It's brand new language. And for some of you, maybe the biggest barrier to serving is that you just don't have time. And listen, I, I totally understand that can seem like a valid reason. But the reality is this. I'll be honest with you. If I can just push back a little bit, if I can challenge you. If you're too busy to serve others, then you're too busy. The reality is you're too busy to serve and maintain all of your current activities and lifestyle. But why not change some of your priorities? Why not be intentional to carve out some time to serve other people? Make it a regular part of your life. And here's the good news. Here at Westbridge, we have tons of different opportunities to serve and get involved. But you'll never discover what, you, you know, what you're good at and what you, where you enjoy serving just by sitting there. Not even if you pray a lot. You got to get off the bench, get in the game, say, all right, I'm available. I'll make myself available. Five loaves and two fish wasn't very much. But the key to the miracle was that they made it available. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes to people in Ephesus in the first century. Be careful how you live. Be alert, be mindful, be thoughtful. Don't live like ignorant people, but like wise people. Make good use of every opportunity you have because these are evil days. The Apostle Paul would say this, be careful, be aware of how you spend your life. Ignorant people do not live a life of awareness. They do not make the most of the opportunities that life gives them. And so instead, they kind of just pick up their feet and they just go with the current and wherever it goes, that's where they go. He goes, but that's foolishness. That's how ignorant people live. That's a foolish way to live. But wise people are aware of the opportunities that they are given and that they're investing their life in. If you're only using your talents, the abilities that God's given you, simply for yourself, to make a living for yourself, then you're missing out on the primary reason that God gave them to you in the first place. The scriptures teach us that there is an enemy of your soul and that he wants to rob you of joy and purpose in this life. And one of the best ways to do that is to keep you busy keep you busy doing all the good things and all the important things, and you'll miss all the best things, the things for which you were created. You will spend and waste your life instead of investing it in those things that will never fade away, those things that are eternal. Anything that is important to you makes it onto your calendar. Are you intentionally taking time to say yes to serving other people? And here's what I can tell you. Some of the biggest needs we have right now, and I'll just say this, on the card in front of you, on the chair in front of you, there's a red card that says, say yes. And we put all the serving opportunities on there, and you're going to find, like, what, this is all the serving opportunities? All it says is kids and students. Yep. And here's why. We're doing pretty good in a lot of the areas. But you know who the future of the church is? Nine-year-olds. 
You know the future of the church is? 15-year-olds. You know the future of the church is? Two-year-olds. What we want to do is we want to create environments that partner with parents that set the anchor of God's love deep in the heart of kids. So that when they grow up, they know this, God created me, God loves me, I can trust him with my life. But that won't happen if we don't have adults who are speaking into their lives. And I'm telling you something, I've personally benefited from having my kids be a part of this church. I can't tell you how many times uh, to, to my teenagers, I'll say something and I'll say it again and again. And they're just like, ah, whatever, dad. And then they come home, and they're like, dad, my youth leader said this. And I'm like, I just said that to you. <laughs> you listen to them, you don't listen to me. I'm like, yes. They don't know it, but I'm like, I did that on purpose. Gotcha. <laughs> Who wins in the end? I'm so thankful that there's other adults here at this church who are reinforcing what we're teaching them at home, who are backing it up, who are going, yep, who are loving my kids, giving them a hug, supporting them, challenging them, encouraging them, teaching them. But here's the reality, guys, as we continue to grow as a church, and we're growing. Last week we had between birth to fifth grade over 300 kids in service. Those rooms are bursting at the seams. It's awesome. But if we're gonna keep seeing that and keep seeing more people from our community come to experience the love and grace of Jesus, not just for them, but for their kids, for the next generation, then we've gotta have more and more adults who say, you know what, I'm gonna say yes to kids. I'm gonna say yes to teenagers. I'm gonna say yes to seventh grade boys. I'm gonna say yes to, you know, I'm gonna say yes to uh, freshman girls. I'm gonna say yes to, uh, you know, I'll say yes to being a leader in their life. In fact, here's a few people that serve currently in kids and students who have said yes, and I want you to see some of their stories, why they said yes. Check this out. About five years ago, I, I, felt, I felt a tug on my heart to work with students and to be involved with students. I had found my faith in high school, and it was because of leaders around me in a time when I needed leaders. So it's important to me to be able to reach back to our students, to be able to give back to the investment and the time that was put into me um, in my life when I needed it most. So I would say that's probably why I chose to volunteer and work with students. I said yes to serving because I'm just a big kid at heart, but um, these kids, they make me happy. They fill me with a lot of joy and happiness, and I've always loved being a kid at heart, so that's why I said yes. Uh, because I heard the youth pastor is really cool, but no, the real answer, uh, I wanted to be able to have an impact on kids' lives because there's a lot of kids out there that don't have anyone that they can really go to. So I wanted to be a source for them to be able to go to for guidance and stuff. We said yes because we love seeing kids come in the door every day excited to be at church with a smile on our face every day. I said yes to serving in kids' ministry because I wanted to get more involved. Um, and it filled my heart in ways that I never could have imagined. I was photographing and went to camp, and I connect really well with those kids. And Chandler asked me when we came back, he was like, do you want to be a youth leader? And I was hesitant, but something inside of me was like, just do it, take the leap. I have now been a youth leader for almost two years and these kids have changed my life. They have gotten me closer to God. It's just something special that hits your heart. And I'm so thankful I said yes. So I started in kids ministry because I wanted to stay with my daughter. So I started in the nursery 
and moved up with her as she moved up. And then when we got to three years old, I stayed there. I do it every week that I can, and I do it to help people find and follow Jesus. If it's my little part that I can do in loving on those kids, then that's what I'm gonna do. My little part, helping people find and follow Jesus. You have a part to play. And uh, I want to ask you to consider saying yes. And you never know what hangs in the balance of your decision to say yes to the next generation. You never know what God's going to do in the life of a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a 15-year-old, just because you said yes and showed up. And I love what one of the youth leaders said. They're actually changing me. My relationship with God has grown. And that's the thing. God doesn't just work through you. God works in you. So you've got a card in front of you. I want you to grab it out. I want you to take a look at it. Even as we finish this up, uh, here's the last thing, a couple of things I want to share with you. First of all, join a serving team. You don't have to do this alone. That's what's so awesome. There's no role that we have that's a singular role. This isn't just a philosophical idea that we think we can do more together. This is a biblical foundation. The scriptures teach that we operate as one single body. And so again, to the Roman Empire, people following Jesus in the Roman Empire, the Apostle Paul writes this, and he says... Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We're all parts of his one body and each of us has different work to do. And since we're all one body in Christ, we belong to each other and each of us needs all the others. We need each other. And I'm not gonna lie, I know it can be intimidating sometimes when you consider joining a serving team for the first time. But if you aren't serving in some way, you're never gonna discover the joy that comes from belonging to the body of Christ. And here's the beauty of it. You can actually try stuff here, and you might screw it up, and that's okay. We've tried all kinds of things that have failed. And you might join a team and just be like, I, I think I actually screwed it up. And we'll be like, what? yeah, you suck at that. <laughs> and then we'll just go, hey, let's find something else. It's fine. It's great. And then try something until you find the team that's the right fit for you. There is no one person that can make this church run. Regardless of your role, you're a vital part of the body. We need every part of the body. The body of Christ is not complete without your contribution. And here's what I can tell you. This is why this matters so much. Please hear me. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've said yes to his grace, you've received his grace, you, you, you recognize all that he's done for you. If you come in here week after week after week and you sit and you listen and all you ever get is information and it never turns into output, never turns into application. All, all you get is information and spiritual knowledge, but it never turns into action. I'm telling you, what you will develop, not even on purpose, unintentionally, what you will develop is a what's in it for me mentality. And the minute that your needs and preferences aren't met, you will disappear. It's only a matter of time before you will leave. And if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, then this church is not all about you. Now, if you're still exploring faith, I want you to keep exploring. I want you to hear the heart behind who we are, what kind of a community this is. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the church is not primarily all about you. You're like, I just started following Jesus last week. Then last week was the last week it was all about you. See, this, every weekend we have people who stuff programs, put together kids' crafts. Uh, they uh, wave to our guests, greet our guests, check in kids, make coffee, uh, teach and help kids, play in the band, run cameras, run sound, pass out programs, run tech and lighting, all these things. You don't have to do it alone. We don't have any teams that are singular teams. No one has to do it alone. But neither should you be a spiritual mooch, right, just sort of existing off the service of everybody else. There's nothing but encouragement here today. You're welcome. <laughs> 
Don't just go to a great church. Help make the church great. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that, that means that we're trying to accomplish something together. It's a lifelong way of living. And it's easier said than done because the pull of human nature for every single one of us, myself included, is towards comfort. That's where I, I don't wake up in the morning going, oh, who can I serve today? Right? I wake up in the morning going, where's breakfast in bed? Right? It's just natural. We like comfort. We want comfortable cars. We want comfortable houses. And in the United States of America, we want comfortable churches. Just makes sense. And there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. I like being comfortable. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with it until it starts to creep into our faith and our commitment to the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. And we want to move from comfort to commitment. And there's two ways to think about a church. One way is to think about it like a cruise ship. Anybody ever been on a cruise before? They do everything for you. You want some food? Just call somebody. They'll get it for you. They have ice cream 24-7, right? They have turn-down service in the rooms. You show up to the room at night after a, a long, hard day of relaxing, and then there's a, there's a chocolate mint with a pillow on, you know, on your pillow. I can tell you, it doesn't happen in my house. And they exist to serve you. And this is how a lot of people view their church. When I pull in, you better have my parking, lot, you know, parking spot close for me. I don't have to walk too far. And I want to check the kids in without a line. And the coffee better be hot. And the creamer fattening. And you know, uh, music better be amazing. And the preacher should be funny, but not too funny, right? It's not a comedian, right? And also, uh, uh, should be, have substance, but not too long. Because, you know, i got to get out of here. And if everything's to my liking, I might do what I do on a cruise ship and leave you a little tip. And that's a cruise ship mentality. But Jesus didn't say that the church exists to feed me, bless me, and help me, and serve me. The church is much more like a Navy ship. Anybody serve on a Navy ship? Do they have turndown service on a Navy ship? I mean, I've never been on one, but I'm going to say no. Right? The truth is, on a Navy ship, it's not bless me, feed me, serve me. It's I got a role to play to accomplish the mission. And I know that my part, that my role contributes to the whole. And so I'm going to take whatever my role is, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, because when every one of us does that, then we're on mission. See, that's how the church operates. You don't have to do it alone. You get to be a part of a team. And here's the last thing I'll say is this. Make serving a way of life. Just, just it would be good for you to commit to doing this for the rest of your life, to just go, I'm going to... I'm going to pick a lane, I'm going to find somewhere to serve, and I'm going to start serving. And then I'm just going to make that a practice for the rest of my life. The Apostle Paul wrote this in the first century. He says, God has made us what we are, and in our union with Christ Jesus, he has created us for a life of good deeds, which he's already prepared for us to do. Did you know God has created us, and before you ever breathed a breath in this world, God had in mind roles for you to play and people for you to impact, and then God fashioned you with talents and abilities, and then he gave you opportunities. And the question is, what will you do with all that's been entrusted to you? With your time, with your talents, with your abilities, with your opportunities, today is such an opportunity. Today, you have the opportunity to take those talents and take those abilities and take the precious asset of your time and offer it back to God in service. And to be honest with you, I'll, be, I'll tell you, there are moments when serving others, being on the serving team here at Westbridge Church, feels like a grind. It feels like a grind. And, you're, and you wonder in the cycle of serving, like, man, is this even making a difference? Like, great sales pitch. I'm just telling you. The reality is it's hard. It's a sacrifice. I can also tell you, there's so many times over the last 27 years of being in church leadership that I'm driving home with tears streaming down my face because I've emptied myself of everything I've got. 
and I'm driving home feeling more full than I've ever felt in my life. Uh, there's something about giving yourself away in service to others that leaves you feeling more full. You feel like God actually did something as a result of you just offering a little bit and, and you got to experience the miracle. You're like, God, it, was, it wasn't even five loaves and two fish. It was like one loaf and one fish. And you did something with that. And I'm blown away that y- you took the little bit that I felt like I could offer and that you would actually work through me to make a difference in someone else's life. I'm blown away. See, following Jesus, it will mess you up. It's not easy, but it is significant. You will feel more alive than you ever have before. And I can tell you, serving others is not always the best decision in terms of the kind of emotions it produces, but it is always the best decision in terms of the kind of person it produces. To all of you who serve and have served so faithfully, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My family has experienced the, the benefit of being a part of this church because of you who serve. Thank you for serving my kids. Thank you for serving my teenagers. Thank you for serving my younger kids. Thank you for serving them so well. Thank you for what you do. God is doing something in you. God is working through you. And to all of you who were serving at one point in time, but you took a break, and I totally get it. There's valid reasons for that. Would you consider reengaging with us and jumping back in? Thank you so much for the time you served. Some of you took a break three years ago, and you're still on break. (laughs) Would you consider re-engaging with us? Would you consider saying yes for the next generation? And to all of you who are followers of Jesus, and you understand what it takes to stay on mission, but you've had some barriers, and you just haven't found your spot yet, would you consider saying yes to the opportunity to serve with kids or students? Could that be a spot for you? Would you consider saying yes? Would you consider trying it? The faith of the next generation depends on it. And if you've just wandered in here or you're watching online on a Thursday afternoon, you're like, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff. I want you to know this is what Jesus did for us, made himself available. The God of the world, the God who spoke the universe into existence, made himself available, showed up in flesh and blood, and then revealed what God was like, showed us God's love. And then the most incredible display of God's love allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And according to multiple eyewitness accounts, hundreds of people talked about and wrote about how they saw Jesus rise from the dead. That means death is not the end. If you, there's more to this life than this life. And you can actually take hold of the life that is truly life by saying yes to Jesus and following him. And you don't earn your way in. You don't behave your way in. It's, it's an invitation that's been extended to the God who created you and loves you. And if you've never said yes to that, I want to invite you to do that by just agreeing with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive me. Please forgive my sins. The times I've walked away from you, times I've missed the mark on how to live life, lived it by my own way. And God, I'm so grateful you never walk away from me. And I pray, make me your son, make me your daughter, and help me to put my trust in you and follow your way of living as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us. God, I pray that as we're doing our best to follow you, that we wouldn't be spectators in our own lives, that we would would be able to grab hold of the life that is truly life here and now, that we'd give our life away in service to others. And in doing that, that we would discover true life. So I pray for every one of us who are followers of Jesus. May we move, God, just from information to application. May we move from spiritual ideas to action. And in doing so, may we make a difference in the lives 
of the next generation. We thank you for the opportunity, uh, and we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.